0: a disaster someplace, and and we respond on those fronts, and we just be a generous people, and um, we always look at a chunk of scripture, and today we're going to look at part of the books of wisdom out of the Old Testament, and Proverbs, if you just want to get wiser, you just want to be able to live a little smarter then Proverbs is just rich. In fact, if you're kind of new to this whole reading through the Bible thing, we read through the Bible every year, but Proverbs has 31 chapters. You know, there's up to 31 days in a month. So there's a lot of people who make it their daily reading that they read a proverb every day. And I think that's a, that's a smart way to get the word in you. And we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 21, verses 25 and 26 and again, this is speaking and this is, this is good practical advice. So you could think almost of, of this, the Spirit of the Lord speaking through your wise great-grandmother or great-grandfather or something in this. And just speaking into our lives. And it says, The lazy people who refuse to work are only killing themselves. And all they do is think about what they would like to have. The righteous, however, can give and give generously. I think there's some real insight here in this trap that we get in because it's amazing how we notice in life that we're always about $500 a month from from feeling okay with our finances. All of a sudden, that comes in, and then we look up, and about six months down the road, yet again, again, we're $500 a month. We just had $500 more a month, and everything would be okay. And that comes in as it's like it's perpetually this moving target, and. The problem is, is our wants know no end. And the counteracting to keep, keeping our wants in control, according to this, is that, that <clears throat> these people who aren't, ref, who aren't willing to engage, they're always thinking about what they would like to have, but the righteous, however, are, are generous. And this place of looking at the needs of others and connecting with the needs of others somehow has this amazing way to check where we're at and when our wants get out of control, when all of a sudden our own desires to begin to get, get away. And in fact, there's been this little phrase thrown around a lot called first world problems. That's because sometimes when we get frustrated that our cell phones don't work and all those different things, when we think about people who are simply wanting a glass of water and can't have it, that it kind of puts things in perspective. And so generosity is one of those things that puts things in perspective. And if we we'll allow the Spirit of God to move in our lives and to be a generous people, it'll honestly, it'll make us happier in life in general. So gentlemen, ladies, whoever is participating in this, let's go ahead and pass these, uh, our baskets around. If you filled out a uh, prayer request, this is a time for you to slide that in there as well. Uh, well, we are now, we finished up the outrageous things Jesus said and um, I hope you enjoyed it. I, I had a blast with that series. We could have just kept going on and on because really you kind of go line by line and the bulk of the red is outrageous. I mean, it's just you put it in context. The bulk of what Jesus said was just outrageous and we could have spent a lot of time on that. And I had a blast with that. But this is kind of a, a part two to a series we did last fall. We looked at 1 at, uh, Timothy and went through chapter by chapter in 1st Timothy and we just called it Dear Timmy and Paul wrote another letter to Timothy called 2nd Timothy and so we've just called this series as we go through 2nd Timothy we just called it P.S. Timmy because he already wrote him one letter and now this is what is his, his follow up thoughts so we are simply going to just chew up the book of 2nd Timothy over the next few weeks and so I'm Really like it and uh, be able to to do that. So uh, let's just go ahead. If you got your U version app open, got your notes ready to roll, then let's go ahead and get into this. That Paul's letters to Timothy give us insight into the core issues of life, love, and leadership. And with this, his letters, the, <clears throat> Paul is writing to a person. This is this discipleship thing. Most of Paul's letters, he writes to the Ephesians and he writes to a group of people. But this is really direct. This is a church leader talking to a church leader. And so if you want to really grow as a church leader, somebody that's, that's stepping up into maturity... Then read the Timothys, because this is, this is Paul, the number one discipler of the Old Testament, talking to his number one disciple. And so he gets to the meat of the issues. He talks about hardcore maturity stuff. And so as we get into that, we have to remember to put that mindset on, that this is a mature believer talking to a mature believer. And we're just going to start with the opening, 2 Timothy 1.1. 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. When by his own will, he understood that God is the one who made the way. As our graduates step into everything, I hope that as you go forward in life, you hit a place in life that you're able to embrace your assignment with as much strength as Paul did his. That he recognized that his assignment was apostleship, and it was by the will of God. I think we need people in every flavor and walk of life, everything that, that makes... <coughs> that. Uh, feeds in to our society and we need believers doing that and I think you can be an engineer by the will of God. I think you can be a law enforcement officer by the will of God. I think you be a teacher by the will of God and whenever you have that understanding it begins to really shift and it brings this extra oomph into what you do. And by the will of God in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. His first thoughts, what he wants for his number one disciple is he wants to remind him of grace. His first words to him after his introduction, after recognizing that this is his assignment, his first words are grace, mercy, and peace. If you're if you do not define your walk with God by grace, mercy and peace, something is off. Something's off. If when you first think about what it means to be a Christ follower and your relationship with God, if the first three words that come to you aren't in some order grace, mercy and peace, something else has crept in there. If you think of guilt, if you think of shame, if you think of work, if you think of all of these different things that you have to do, if you think of responsibility, if you think of all these different things, things have gotten off. He's not talking to a baby believer. He's talking to a mature believer. He's talking to a guy that he goes into a community, plants a local congregation, begins to impact that community, and Timothy comes in, and Timothy's a pastor Paul is going in and he's a, he's a starter. He, he instigates things and gets stuff done and gets stuff going. Stays there for a season. And Timothy's a long-termer. He's there for the long haul. And he wants him that in all that he does to think about and define his relationship with God by grace, mercy, and peace. From where? Not fabricated by himself, but from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. People, this has to be part of our foundation. And we're not going to understand anything about life, love, and leadership if we don't understand that the foundation of our relationship with God is grace, mercy, and peace. I hope that as you come in and about this point in the service, as we've had some worship, I understand you having a gather up the kids and and deal with traffic and all the different things and come in and somebody took the last chocolate donut and you got to forgive that person because you see them eating it and enjoying it and you're like i just want to shove that in your mouth bless you and uh took the last one i love the chocolate donuts and uh you know you have all these little things that stir you up but i pray that at this point in the service That as you've been in this environment of worship and we've connected as a a group and and maybe even the first song is kind of like lip service and you're trying to get in the rhythm and you're trying to get in the flow and and you're just kind of singing along and it's a little bit more karaoke than it is worship but at some point the heart engages and it quits being karaoke and it begins to be this expression of the heart and at some point then God's grace, mercy and peace come to the forefront of your mind. And I pray that when you walk out of a time with Celebration Church and us connecting, that you're just like, man, I love God's grace, God's mercy, and God's peace that he gives me. That ought to be the definers of our relationship with God. It ought to be it. And as we step into this, as we do that, then we're now going to begin to get into some things about what it means to, about, to play our role in this. But I don't want us to lose, because we can grease over that. Oh, that's the greeting. Now we're going to get into the meat of it. Now that's the first thing Paul said to his number one son. We don't grease over it, shoot over it. Oh, you throw some little churchy words in there, and now it makes it sound a little more bible And we say grace, mercy, and peace, and then we're going to get into the meat of this. No, grace, mercy, and peace is the meat. And then now we're going to get in to his next thought. And the next thought for us is God's plan for you, for us, includes those that came before you, you today, and those that come behind you. I love that today. We are celebrating the accomplishments of those that that have have grown up and are graduating and are stepping forward and, and embracing their future that they have. And on this same weekend, is Memorial Day weekend. And we recognize the efforts of those who aren't here today. We recognize the efforts of those who paid the ultimate sacrifice. We recognize the efforts of those who took their today and gave their all so that we could have tomorrow, which is now our today. And here in this, on this Sunday where we recognize and understand the power of Memorial Day and recognizing those, the selfless acts that were done, the sacrifices that were made. And just take a moment and be grateful for that whether those were somebody you personally knew, there was a, a, a grandfather or a, a, a father or a sibling or somebody recent, a buddy for those of you who are in the military and have it it's really close to home and it was something really recent. We are grateful for those that did something yesterday so that we could have our today. And all of our tomorrows are built and added to as God works through people today for the tomorrows. And that's exactly what Paul talks about to Timothy. The graduation weekend, it, it, it came really, really quick for us with Keenan finishing up uh, Bible school, and, and uh, I've shared this story with you before, but... but this whole concept of this, this generational thing and, and these different pieces of things coming before and playing roles, it, it just fits so well. And um, thankfully, my, I've got heritage of ministers on both sides of my family going back. And I just appreciate that some of my earliest memories are sitting on a church pew and drawing trains. I don't know why I love to draw trains, but I draw trains. And so and I draw trains and my parents were engaged in worship and, and my dad was part of the ministry team and I remember watching him at, at seven o'clock on the local TV broadcast. We have to go down to the TV station and, and do a Bible study on TV and watching as a kid. And and I'm so grateful for the heritage of those that came before. And and as a as I stepped into ministry, my desire was obviously as a minister is to impact lots of people in the future generations but my goodness I've got a lot of kids and I want them impacted I want them lost in the shuffle and the, and the hustle of doing ministry and, and one of my favorite moments years ago was when we were uh, Carson or Weston who's now driving at 16 and going all over the place was about 18 months old sitting in his high chair and he couldn't talk and little Keenan comes over to him and tells him we're all cooking dinner and says, "I want to teach you Weston how to be a man of God." I'm like, "This is awesome. How is uh, you know, how's this uh, five six year old kid going to what's his definition of being a man of God?" And and of course, I was a youth pastor. I preached. He was on youth stuff all the time. Thought maybe he would bust out his Bible and go to preaching or doing something. Who knew what he was going to do? So I'm sitting here and I we're just preparing dinner. So I try not to. I try not to mess anything up and just stay focused. And so he goes to teach Weston how to be a man of God. And he just throws his little hands up and he just starts praising God. And he starts singing, Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And he just starts singing that. And, of course, I'm sitting there just doing things, crying. like that's all. And that is... It is. Being a person of God, being a woman of God, man of God, isn't about what we go do for him. It is about what we do with him. It's about that connection and recognizing that he loves us and we love him. And that's the foundation of it. And he amazingly got that as a kid. Well, we fast forward and he embraces. And and man, in his early teenage years, you know, we would talk about, well, what do you want to do after you graduate? And college was not on his radar at all. I'd bring it up, and I'd see him just, I'm like, all right, you're a freshman. We don't have to talk about this. All right, bring it up. You're a sophomore. We don't have to talk about this. All right, you're a junior. We're a, son, you're a senior. We've got to talk about this. But thankfully, by about that time, he was being engaged. And it's like, I want to do ministry, and music is a big deal to him. And he wanted to, to do worship stuff. And, and we're like, okay, this is, this is exciting. And he was t- looking at some schools and, and had settled on Christ for the Nations. And my pastor that mentored me was, was there on the team there. And so we go for our visit. What well, Keenan just loves, all the rock and, rock and new worship. And we go in and we go into the worship environments. We're watching one of the chapels. And he, this is his first experience at Christ for the Nations. They're going to fire up the worship. I'm like, all right, somebody's going to pull a rust and just, and just rip this thing up. They're just going to jump into this awesome worship. And this guy gets up on this piano and starts doing this slow stuff and starts singing, When I think about the Lord, How he raised me, how he saved me. And I'm like, seriously? This is my boy's first experience, and this is what you're going to do. And I'm not even connecting. I'm pouting. I'm irritated. I'm like, come on, rip something. Come on, just get into this. And it's just, he's just going. And I'm like, all right. I'm like, this song is old. What are you doing? I'm bringing my son to be on the cutting edge. What are you doing with this old song? And I'm sitting here and just not acting real pastoral. And uh, I'm pouting in the middle of a worship service because it's not going the way I wanted it to go. So if you've ever done that here, you're not alone. But guess what? You're not allowed to do that because, watch. And so and so uh so i'm sitting there and i'm in the middle of this and i don't even want to look at kenan because i don't even want him to go are you serious and i didn't i forgot how that song, and then they get into that deal when i think about how he saved me how he raised me how he filled me with the holy ghost how he healed me to the uttermost it makes me want to shout hallelujah thank you jesus lord you're worthy of all the glory. And all of a sudden I just start to cry. And I'm like God. Yes. As my son had imparted into my younger son. That what it means to be a man of God. And we're trying to figure out his next step in life. And the song. Is what they pull out. They hadn't pulled that song out. In the, when I talked to them. They hadn't pulled that song out in a long time. That guy just was like. We're going to do this one today. And I was like, oh my gosh. And then as he moves forward and, and is now on the, this Sunday on the mission field and doing stuff and sharing the gospel and that this generational thing that God is so a part of this. He is so a part of this. And this is something we ought to just desire. <clears throat> Verse 3 says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did. He is serving God very different than his ancestors did. His ancestors, without understanding who Jesus Christ was, would have said he had gone rogue. He had gone off the rails. And yet when he recognizes and he talks to Timothy, he says, I'm serving God like my ancestors did. Well, they didn't have Messiah. They didn't do these different things. No, but they pulled into God with the truth and the life that was there for them at that moment and believing that Messiah would come. And now I know Messiah has come. And this is a big deal to Paul. And he says, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith. I'm reminded. I'm reminded, Timothy, of your faith and how real and genuine is which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Here is this generational thing. And I love it that Paul doesn't even, he calls him a son in the faith and he mentored him. And I love it that Paul recognizes the influences not just of his mega ministry, but of what his mama and his grandmother did. And he's like, it's not you're doing a good job with the faith I handed you, boy. He's like, you're doing a good job with the faith your mama poured into you and your grandmama poured into you in this generational thing. I tell you what, I am so excited about what happens on the other side of that wall. And when I get reports about our, our little guys being excited and talking to their parents about the things they're learning and all those different things, I love it that our nurseries are overflowing. Overflowing. You think we're out tight in here? Our nurseries are overflowing. I'm excited about in our new building having to, to, to add and, and have lots of nursery space. Because we have moms and dads bringing their little ones and engaging with, <clears throat> with the things of God and making it a priority. And we can look forward to the impact that that's going to have on the next generation. We have to think generationally. We have to appreciate what came before us and understand God has an assignment for us right now and that, <clears throat> and that the next generation matter. Those that are coming and following behind us, that They matter. He goes on to say, for this reason, I remind you, because it's been handed down, because you've done a good job, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. I know the gifts of God that are in you, and I want you to stir those up. You have sincere faith. I'm not questioning your faith. I'm saying, let's carry this to the next level. Let's stir this up. Let's, let's press in to the next thing. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. Other translation says God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but gives us of power and love and of self-discipline. I love one translation that that, that Greek word can actually be translated, a sound mind. It lets us think clearly and think right. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in the suffering of, For the gospel by the power of God. See God's truth came thousands of years and thousands of miles to us. All of this was happening on the other side of the planet a long time ago. And there were so many opportunities for it to be cut off and the enemy tried. But we're here today in West Texas in a movie theater. Worshiping the one true God. Who sent his son to die for us and love us and give us life, not because we've earned it, because he wants to give us to it, because he wants us to have it. And we're here because of those that came before. Just took what they had and lived it out and passed it on. That's all that's asked of us. Just 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 embrace it, live it and pass it on. Verse nine it says, and he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The next concept, and we'll move quickly through these next couple of pieces, is that we can get through the difficult times. We can get through those places that the that the faith has come to us, and then there's these moments to walk away. There's these moments to all of a sudden create a dead end where there wasn't a dead end. It came thousands of years and thousands of miles to us, and we're walking it out, and there are these opportunities where we can just go, forget this, I'm done with it. These are places where we can shipwreck our faith, the word <clears throat> talks about. And we just go, I'm, I'm 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 sick of this mess. And we get through the difficult times by knowing whom we have believed. 2 Timothy 1 says, In this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher, and that is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I I have entrusted to him until that day, that I have put my life in his hands and he takes care of it. I know that he has it. I know he's good. I know him whom I have believed. This is why when it's all said and done, you say, what's Celebration Church about? It's about knowing God better and trusting Him more. Why? Because when those difficult times come, it's that when we know whom we have believed, that that assurance carries us forward. One of my favorite stories on this comes out of a book that's been around for a while called Chicken Soup for the Soul, where they have gathered up a bunch of these Stories and, and he tells a story in 1989, there was this devastating earthquake that hits Armenia. It's an 8.2 on the Richter scale and just, just levels all of this. In a matter of four minutes, 30,000 Armenian lives are extinguished just with this earthquake. The story zeroes in on this father who is at home and this happens during the day and he knows his son is at school. And he leaves the safety of his home, leaves his wife, and he goes to the school to find his son. And he goes to the school to find him, and he sees, and the school is absolutely pancaked. It's just flat. Old school, concrete, heavy construction, just pancaked. sees nothing but parents and, and, and people just sobbing, and they're like, "That it's done. There's, there's, there's nothing to be done here. And he remembered a promise that he had made to his son that I will always, always come for you. Always. And he's like, I have to do something. And he remembers that his son is in the back right-hand corner of the building. That's where his son's class was. And he goes over to the rubble, and it's just flat, and it doesn't even look like there's any kind of hope at all. And he begins to move rubble. And parents come over to him, and, and emergency workers come over to him, and said, "What are you doing? Leave this alone. They're gas line stuff. This is dangerous. You need to get, get away from here." And he simply tells them, "Are you going to help?" That is his response every time. And he just keeps going and begins to move rubble and move rubble. Does it 12 hours. Does it 24 hours. Does it 36 hours. At 38 hours into unending moving of rubble. Unending moving of rubble. He sits there and he calls again and calls his son's name, Armand, Armand. And he hears his son's voice call back. and says, Dad, I'm in here. And out of the 30 kids in my class, 14 of us are alive. And the stuff had come down and created this little TP deal. And they were all inside of that place. And his son had been bringing peace and calm to his classmates by saying, My dad said he would always come for me. And so (coughs) the dad immediately calls to Armand and says, Come out, come out. And Armand says, No, Dad. I want all the other ones to come out because I know you won't leave me in here. And so he starts sending out all of his classmates. They start coming out and the last one out. That little boy was hungry. That little boy was hurt. That little boy was tired and scared. He could have easily scurried out. No one would have thought anything. All of them would have got out. But he was willing to stay in an unpleasant, difficult place. To bring peace to some people by his faith in his daddy. So many times people say, Why in the world, in such a difficult place, do we not say yes to God and just get us out of here, take us home? Because our faith is supposed to be that. Our faith is supposed to be that place when we're here stuck in the hole sometimes on this planet where ugly stuff is happening and we're at a place of assurity and saying, you know what, my daddy is good and this is going to be okay. This is ugly, but he'll come for us. And I'm willing to stay in this little place of difficulty and, <clears throat> and deal with this for a little while to be able to bring peace and life and to speak life into you. Why? Because I know him and whom I've believed. This is about impacting those around us. The last thing that we walk away with out of 2 Timothy 1 is guard those good things that God has done in your life. Be sure of him whom you've believed. That cultivates that. It's part of what we do on Sunday mornings. We stir each other up on that. And then we have to guard those things. 2 Timothy 1.13 says, What you have heard from me keep as a pattern of sound teaching. With faith and love in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you and guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know, sometimes we hit these moments. You're like, God, I'm having a hard time really trusting you here. And we can do just like that dad that came to Jesus and says, I need you to heal my son. He says, anything's possible to him who believes. And he says, I believe, help my unbelief. That's what this is. <clears throat> this is that moment. Hold on to the good deposits, those good things, those promises that God has placed in your life with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And this last little nugget of truth, he says we got to hold on to those deposits. And one of the biggest places of robbing our faith in God and our faith in humanity isn't the different things that just kind of happen. It's what this junk people do to us. It's the junk people do to us. And you know what? And, and I believe Paul reaffirms that. Because, man, I'm telling you what, the disappointments of others is one of the most dangerous, discouraging things we face. And I love how Paul deals with this. His very next thing he says after guarding the good deposit, he says, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. He ungrew his ministry, his ministry, and everybody left him. He's still the man. He's still there. So everybody deserted me, including <clears throat> Phigelius and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he has often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Immediately in his top of mind writing, he deals with the pain of the desertion. And you know how he counteracts that? He immediately talks about and celebrates those that have fed into his life. He gives glory to those. Instead of focusing on the disappointments others have been, let's talk about all the times people have nourished our faith and have been there for us. Ones, Onesiphorus, because he's often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my change. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he has helped me in Ephesus. This is, this is the rubber meets the road stuff. This is mature Paul talking to mature Timothy. And guess what? Mature Timothy had to guard those good deposits. He had to fan the gift up in his life. He had to stay focused on the heritage and those different things. You and I do too. So this morning, I want us to come back to our two core discipleship questions. Where are you? Where are you in this? Just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Remember, this is about grace, mercy, and peace. This isn't the big, the, this big condemnation thing comes in. You silence that voice. This is grace, mercy, and peace, and God's carrying us forward. So let the Holy Spirit say, "This is where we're at." And then the next question is, "Is which way forward from here?" God, what's my next step? What's my next step in my walk with you? I don't want to be stale and stagnant. This is an adventure with you. So you ask the questions, God. Where am I? Let that be truly revealed. And God, there's a way forward. How do we do that? Because the truth is, is God loves us so much that he meets us where we are. And he loves us so much that he does not leave us there. I want to create a quiet moment. Those that, came, those that are here and maybe had an awakening and recognize that, man, this life with God is... I thought it was about all I had to do, and I get it. I get it's about all that Jesus did and does. And I recognize that Jesus Christ died for me. He was risen, and he lives for me. And I believe that I'm made right with God because of that. And if that's you this morning, I want you to just lift your hand, and we want to pray with you. Awesome. Awesome. believers just lift your voice they've stepped over from death to life this is this is their part of the family say heavenly father i thank you for your love i thank you for your grace